Welcome, friends. It is time for Episode 7 of the Tokenomics Podcast, the Axie Infinity $625 million Hack Explained Edition. Uh, I'm here today with Anton Bachman, Principal at Play Ventures. Hello, hello. Uh, Miska, sadly, is still recovering from the uh, Turkish bath experience at the Google X Deconstructor Fun Istanbul <laughs> event that I heard about on the live podcast recording. So it's just Anton and me today. I am Ethan Levy, the uh, EP of Legendary Heroes Unchained at Network. Uh, today we're talking about the $625 million hack of the Ronin sidechain. We're talking about Crypto Raiders. We're talking about Fractal. We're talking about GameStop's NFT marketplace. And we're talking about DeFi kingdoms. All that and more on today's tokenomics. All right. Some... Sounds good. And, uh, and and we're still we're still uh, figuring out a common audio standard here among the <laughs> among the hosts. So please let us know if if, if there's something with the audio uh, we're looking to we're looking to stabilize that in 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 in, uh, in the coming episodes. Yeah. Speaking of, I'm hoping it's my fantasy that in in the next uh, couple of weeks I record some music for our podcast. I once upon a time I used to make electronic music, so I need some intro to oh, Shilltown nice. music for uh this next segment uh until we uh until we've got sponsors for tokenomics i just want to throw out that uh as i mentioned on the last one my team the legendary heroes unchained team is hiring at network uh we're interviewing for a wide range of web3 uh positions at network and today i want to highlight the game quality assurance lead i'm looking for an embedded qualified detail oriented and technical quality assurance lead to work with my game team, uh, be a part of the game team, not separate from it. Someone who's red-pilled on on blockchain and can help us uh, make sure we're giving our players the highest quality and secure experience. So if you're interested in that, head to uh, network.com and go to the careers page, and it's your chance to uh, work with me. Uh, anything you want to shill today? I could I could shill the the event we had last week in Istanbul. Yeah. So even if even if you you missed it for some reason, uh, you can check out the the link to the stream or to the recording in the latest Deconstructor Fun newsletter, uh, included included with some some key takeaways from each each presentation and a panel discussion that was was at the event. And um, hopefully we can announce something something similar uh, yeah. in the near future something is already in the in the plans so uh, and a uh, big thanks to Google for organizing that event together with with the deconstructor fun uh, and um, yeah I think we're gonna see more exciting stuff uh, in, w- with that collaboration in the future yeah I'm hoping uh, Google wants to take us to Miami for the tokenomics uh, uh crypto games podcast in miami or if you would out in the audience let us know uh all right so enough shilling that's the end of shill town um i wanted to do some quick news uh uh headlines before we head into our main topic um so i'll go through those relatively quick because i it's a really meaty topic today uh so first article and i'll link all these in the show notes DeFi. Definance Capital, Delphi Digital, co-lead $6 million round on Crypto Raiders NFT game. Defiance. Defiance. Uh, so co-led by Defiance and Delphi, uh, and also uh, GuildFi, Merit Circle, and Yield Guild Games. So obviously episode number two of Tokenomics was on Crypto Raiders. Go back and listen to it uh, if you want. It was our first kind of deep dive for a game. Um you know, we both have friends at Delphi, and we have friends at Yield Guild Games, and uh, congrats to everybody involved uh, in this deal, and to Crypto Raiders. I look forward to uh, seeing the game continue to evolve over the coming months and years. You think we'll see some of your your design suggestions from the second episode? Uh, that would be interesting. Uh, you know, Joachim and I are doing an interview with the Crypto Raiders uh, team next month, so maybe I'll get get a chance to uh, give them some updated suggestions because uh, they've added awesome. a lot of systems to the game uh that'll be on the sounds good yeah. yeah no it's it's um i think they're, they're clearly one of the one of the more i wouldn't say fledgling but mm-hmm. not 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 maybe the not maybe the most out there but from my experience one of the one of the the projects in the in the crypto gaming space that had sort of a number of free-to-play developers are following with interest 
mainly in terms of learn also from from a learning point of view from doing how to do the asset drops how to think about future uh, uh, consequent um, new content to the game thinking about staking programs etc so also from from that point of view i think it has been a very interesting for me also to be following following this project yeah. and, and great to see that they have some more backing to to take the thing to the next level yeah i'm excited to see how it um how it develops uh, next headline I want to do was uh, uh, from Gamesbeat. Uh, Justin Kahn's Fractal raises $35 million for game-focused NFT marketplace. If you're um, not familiar, Fractal is a Solana-based marketplace for NFT games, uh, and they're trying to set a really high-quality bar for the projects they allow on their marketplace, and they even have a launch pad uh, uh, that they uh, have funded some game projects with already. And uh, they have an NFT fractal for the first 100,000 early access uh, users. I got one of those uh, that is supposed to be kind of a Game Pass uh, functionality for games on their service. Uh, games you might recognize are ones we've talked about on the show before. Panzar Dogs, Mini Nations Royale, Aurori, Genopets. Um, let me just read this little quote. Uh, Paradigm and Multicoin Capital led the round with participation from Andreessen Horowitz, Solana Labs, Animoca, Coinbase, Play Ventures, Position Ventures, Zynga founder Mark Pincus, Crossover, Shrug Capital, Terraform CEO Duquan, and Tim Ferriss. So I recognize a lot of those names, especially Play Ventures. I hear you guys have been pretty busy lately with your future fund. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's a good that's a good lineup. We got uh we got to be prepared for the future, and that's that's what the future fund is for. Um, no, but um, I think I think seeing, especially now on what's happening on Solana on, on the gaming marketplace side, we so we have two large-ish ish actors, being one being Magic Eden, uh, the other one being Fractal. Um, I think even though I mean OpenSea is not a very old company, but but I think we're already now seeing signs of kind of the unbundling of different NFT marketplaces. Discoverability being a bit of a challenge on OpenSea, as you're looking at game assets, you're looking at uh, profile pictures, other collectibles, digital art, uh, scam and, projects, um, Un unverified scam projects. Scam projects. Is a challenge. A a a a exactly, and uh, obviously a part of the open op open source nature of things uh, that you're able to list whatever uses the common standard. Uh, and um, also also misusing that to, to a certain extent uh, to this point, but but there's been a clear kind of need for better discoverability, and that's where I think these uh, gaming specific marketplaces have a have a good shot. What's cool about Fractal is they're re really focusing on not sort of the quantity of NFTs, but the quality of projects coming to the platform, uh, proper games by experienced game developers. So for if we're looking at some of the stuff here, we're looking at Panzer Dogs. That's a, that's an experienced free-to-play team from Europe that's recently been doing their uh, their entry into into this space. Uh, we're looking at Mini Nations Royale. Uh, the company behind is funded by former Scopely guys. Uh, so um, I think I think we'll see more of those, and also hopefully stuff from the Play Portfolio also making its dent on the on the fractal marketplace and and uh, see what happens. Awesome. Um, next story. Okay, this one, this one I found kind of confusing. I think we, uh, I can't remember if it's here or on mainline Twig that I went into the um, Immutable X and GameStop story where uh, GameStop did a $100 million partnership with Immutable X and then dumped two-fifths of their tokens into fiat almost immediately. So we know from the past that GameStop has partnered with Immutable X, which is a layer two solution uh, to build an NFT marketplace. That's not out yet. And then the headline I saw was loopering price surges by 50% after GameStop's NFT marketplace integration. And the tweet was, the future of NFTs are here and they're powered by Ethereum second layer. Loopering layer two X GameStop power to the players. So, and then in the article, it says GameStop reports that it chose Loopring to host its NFT marketplace due to the network's ability to mint NFTs for a fraction of the cost required on Ethereum, with the average fee being less than $1. Now, if I read that exact sentence and changed Loopring to Immutable X, I, I believe that's also the type of service that uh, a platform provides. So I'm 
I'm confused. I, I don't have any answers right now, and I don't I don't know if you have any insight or not, but like it's unclear to me if GameStop is building two different NFT marketplaces and just doing as many deals as possible to get as much money as they can, if this is a multi-chain uh, NFT solution that they're building, or, you know, I don't know if these are complementary deals, adversarial deals. I really have no idea. All, all I know is that uh, GameStop is... Uh, is uh, doing deals, making money. But uh, any any ideas here? Yeah, nothing I found publicly available, but um, I would assume I would assume it's a strategy of rolling out on, on a couple of different chains. I mean, mm-hmm. companies and projects are not locked into only using one, but they can be deploying on, on a multitude of chains. So, but a lot of these, a lot of these layer twos and, and other layer ones who want who more scalable layer ones who want to 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 offer to products and companies the, the ability to roll out on their solution have have good war chests in place currently usually incentivizing with free tokens mm-hmm. as was in the IMX deal uh, with, with 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 GameStop so all of these are are craving for for companies to launch launch anything anything with volume related on, on their on their chains so so I would assume it's it's, it's something that GameStop can be utilizing on a, on a couple of different chains. Got it. So it wouldn't be surprising based on these two pieces of news if GameStop did a deal with Solana or Avalanche or Polygon. And if mm. their their thing that they were building and doing all these deals for was trying to be a multi-chain NFT marketplace. Um, so that makes sense. All right. Uh, last news story is DeFi Kingdoms and Ramp partner to bring easier cryptocurrency payment options. Um, so the reason I want to highlight this again, going to that um, Crypto Raiders podcast, I'm kind of learning in public here, and it took me a couple nights worth of my meager free time to figure out how to fund my account and get um, get the right tokens into the right wallet for Crypto Raiders, right? Like, uh, I'm, I'm kind of learning in public here, and that was my first experience with a Polygon-based game, and I the path I used on that game was, like, I bought a Polygon on Coinbase, I transferred that to an Ethereum wallet, I bridged that to a Polygon wallet, and then I bridged that into the game, and that's how I was able to use my Matic in that game to buy Dungeon Keys. Um and then later I learned uh, that you could use uh, MoonPay to buy Matic directly on Polygon uh, with with a credit card, and that would skip the first three or four steps. So this sounds like it's a, a similar configuration where you're going to be able to use Ramp, uh, I assume to use your debit card or credit card, to turn your fiat currency into the right cryptocurrency on the right wall, in the right wallet, on the right chain, in order to play DeFi Kingdoms. And this is the type of solution I expect a lot of games will want to integrate to widen the appeal um, of their offering the same way NBA Top Shot or NFL All Day or NFTU all let you, you know, Blanco's also. Anything that allows you to transact directly with your credit card makes it easier for new people who haven't, you know, red-pilled yet to, to get into your product. Yeah. And I, I think I think that's why, from a, from a mainstream user standpoint, anything like if you've tried out so rare uh, user fa- user interface, okay, still it's relatively intuitive, but um, but a very very nice solution on the on the kind of credit, the ability to use a credit card. You don't feel like you're using crypto uh, on, on that platform. Uh, Dapper uh, being the same, a Top Shot being the same thing, and um, I would assume that that's going to become. A lot more commonplace, and, and why I believe that also people will be using more custom Starkware solutions going forward, similar to what SoRare is doing, uh, instead of only opting to these major layer twos and layer ones, just to get a bit more customizability around it. Got it. We should. I feel like we should do a Starkware episode. I know there's a there's a Starkware episode of the Metacast, and I learned a lot there. But there's even, I have more questions, and it seems like it's one of those. Um, it's not as public. As, as some of the other chains, but it seems like it's underpinning a lot of things, right? You hear about Immutable X and yeah. you might not know that it's a, a custom version of Starkware, for instance. Or Yeah. I, I, I had no idea until uh, until just this moment that Sarare had a, a Starkware implementation. 
Um, no, we got to get some of them starkware in the podcast. Yeah. All right. Uh, all, all of that, that's, that's our headlines wrap up. So let's talk about the big ticket item, uh, Axie Infinity's $625 million hack explained. Um, to set the stage, as reported in The Verge and many other outlets, a hacker stole $625 million from the blockchain uh, behind NFT game Axie Infinity. So this podcast is really just an, an excuse for me to learn in public. There's still a ton I'm learning every day about uh, the blockchain ba- uh, space. And I wanted to take what is kind of the like single sentence, which is $625 million was stolen in ETH and USDC from the Ronin Bridge in a social engineering exploit. That's a really dense sentence. And I think part of what we're trying to do is, is talk to our experienced colleagues in, in free-to-play game development and, and help educate them on how all these new tech uh, within, within blockchain works. And I think there's just an incredible amount to break down to understand um, exactly what was happening in this hack. Because, you know, I listened to the live twig from Istanbul and, and no offense to the Eric's, uh, but I don't think everything they said in talking through this hack was uh, accurate. Um, so let's uh, let's break it down one piece at a time. Um, and I apologize for anyone that in the audience who's like fully red pilled and is like Ethan, why are you talking about this basic stuff? Um, I think that there I, I want to just go into it kind of step by step and make sure that I actually understand because. Uh, you know, just to be transparent, until last night, uh, when I was researching for this, if you asked me what's a, what's the difference between a sidechain and a layer two solution, I would not have been able to answer that. Um, and now I know that a sidechain is a form of layer two solution, which, uh, despite having been researching this space for over a year at this point, I did not know until last night. So let's let's all learn in public together. Um, Let's let's start here. Uh, the the basic thing we need to understand is what is Ronin and what is a sidechain, right? So let um, let me see if I kind of have the understanding right. Uh, once upon a time, Axie Infinity was was built and run purely on Ethereum, and as it got more and more popular, it was getting too expensive to run and the Ethereum network was too congested and people basically couldn't play it effectively and that was hampering its growth. And if you look at the user charts, there's a point at which Axie really takes off and that uh, coincided, I believe, with the implementation of the Ronin sidechain. Um, And what a sidechain is, is basically like, it's a private network uh, off of Ethereum, or it could be off of a different layer one. You could build a side chain on Solana. It's a, a private network where you take assets off of Ethereum, off of the layer one. You you put them in escrow, and then you kind of use vouchers to play entirely in that side chain, and then people can uh, redeem their vouchers for the assets back on the layer one, um, and the 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 benefits of this are speed and transactions per second and scaling is that roughly yeah, accurate I, 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 yeah 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 and I, I think also just for the sake of simplicity and if you compare ronin and ethereum let's just use as an example that if i want to do a transaction ethereum let's say there's a thousand people that need to give me a thumbs up for that transaction but on ronin it would only be five people so um so the trade-off is that it's a lot faster because you get the approval much faster from those people. Uh, but then again, it's less secure because you're relying on those five people instead of relying on the integrity of a thousand people. Yeah, and that. Uh, so, um, so that's that's generally the trade-off space. And that um, that security trade-off is essentially what was uh, exploited, as we'll explain here. But you know, for um, comparison, I was looking at it last night. And if I found the right sources of data, which can always be uh, wrong, it looked like Ethereum has over 300,000 validator nodes and looks like it's running at about 3,600 transactions per second um, over the past couple weeks. 
uh, by comparison, Ronin has only nine validator nodes. It doesn't have a, a public TPS figure that I could find, but it's much faster. Or it can, we know that it can handle a lot more transactions per second, a lot cheaper. So it's it's only running all of its validation through those nine nodes. Five of them have to confirm any anything, um, so they can handle a lot more users for lower gas fees but there is a huge vulnerability of having so few validators in the system. Yeah, and it's, I think it's helpful to point out at this, at this point is that the vulnerability was not in the side chain itself, but it was in the bridge, yeah. uh, the Ronin bridge, which, which is the, the part talking between Ethereum uh, and, and, and the Ronin side chain and exchanging the information uh, between the two of those. Yeah, so a side chain, so but we'll, we'll move... I'll, I'll do one last thing before we move to the bridge. Um, I said I didn't know the difference between a layer two and a side chain, and and my research last night informed me uh, that a side chain is just a form of layer two. So layer two is anything that acts on top of a layer one solution to try and improve its speed and lower its fees while inheriting the core security of the um, layer one. And so, um, uh, Stark, uh, is Starkware ZK rollup or it's implementing ZK rollups? I don't know. Uh, it's, 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 it's utilizing them. Okay. But so I think, I think some of the concrete examples mm-hmm. currently would be, uh, we look at the comparison. So, so Polygon, for example, it, it's, it uses the same code code is ethereum uh, but then again instead of that amount of validators it has its own security system which is also then covered by multi-sig uh, over at over at polygon instead of having that humongous amount of validators as the main chain which ethereum would have so it resembles ethereum in a lot of ways but it doesn't have the security guarantees of ethereum because it has a different validator set then if we look at examples where the so-called Kind of sub chains or other chains get their get their security primitives from uh, from something underlying. One example would be the Polkadot blockchain, uh, which is also co-founded by one of the original Ethereum co-founders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, the idea is that each application runs on its own parachain, which then gets the underlying security from from the original blockchain, which is underneath all of those. And then it kind of outsources the security primitive to, to an underlying chain. I see. Uh, the Cosmos hub would be similar, but I think as we've been discussing, we need a separate episode on, <laughs> on all. Yeah, every on, single on one of these concepts these requires its own deep dive. Um, but the, the short, term, the short uh, uh, version of it is um, Axie uh, runs on a, on a side chain of Ethereum which allows it to handle a lot more players, um, but it does so by using a private network that is that has uh, that as we, we're talking about now has its own security vulnerabilities uh, that have been now exploited for like the largest crypto hack of all time, I believe. So, um, yep. To to talk about, I, I think to now understand what the hack was we 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 know what ronin is we know what a sidechain is and now we need to talk about what a bridge is um so i'm gonna steal an analogy from uh planet money's uh episode over the weekend it's my favorite finance uh, not planet money sorry the slate money podcast i've been listening to it for years and it's kind of my favorite and uh they had a really good metaphor um to help explain this um what a bridge is and how it works so um to play Axie, um, I require uh, ETH, which is wrapped ETH, uh, which we're just going to call ETH for now. It kind of doesn't matter what the wrapping is. It's 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 there, there's a form of but ETH. conceptually, it's like having it's yeah. like having Ethereum IOUs yeah. on another chain. Yeah, so it, it's you need ETH, you need AXS, you need SLP. Um, these are all tokens that exist on the ethereum network and in order to get them into axie and play with them in axie you have two possibilities um when i got into axie 
I acquired Ether on Ethereum. I went through a process to wrap it that converts Ether to wrapped Ether. And then I sent it, I set up a Ronin wallet, and I s bridged my Ethereum from uh, uh, Ethereum. <laughs> I I I uh, bridged my token from the Ethereum to the Ronin chain, and so what that actually means. This was uh, thinking about it. Uh, the the metaphor I liked was getting chips in a casino, right? I had a I had an asset that was Ethereum, and then I went to Ronin, and I said I would like to use my Ethereum within your casino, and essentially they took my the brit. This is the bridge. They took my Ethereum, they put it in a vault, and then they handed me chips that represented Ethereum that I could use within the Axie Infinity ecosystem. And uh, this is what bridging is, which is like essentially a series of uh, putting things in vault and giving you vouchers. Um, because my Ethereum token didn't move from Ethereum to Ronin. Right, my Ethereum token still exists on Ethereum, on the Layer One solution. I am playing with the chip, and the bridge has promised me anyone holding this chip can turn this chip in and get their Ethereum back on the Ethereum network. And so, uh, I I really liked this metaphor of thinking about the casino, and thinking about putting things in the mm. vault. Um, because you can then think of this theft as Ocean's Eleven. Somebody stole the money out of the vault. Uh, and until people learn that the money's removed from the vault, they can still use their chips. There's nothing preventing them from using their chips in the casino and doing everything their chips require. They're just passing around IOUs that say, good for one Ethereum, good for one Ethereum. They're passing the, the IOUs out amongst each other uh, it's only when they try it when someone tries to redeem from the vault uh that the that the theft is uh uh discovered um so do you think that's a good explanation of bridging yeah no, i like i like that analogy and, and sort of especially with the ious and and the chips um uh, i wonder just if it's it's a george clooney that's behind this hack <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> but I am. We'll see. I'm gonna start writing Oceans 14 tonight. It'll be it'll be the crypto Ooh. version of of Oceans. It'll uh, include another bad earthquake scene in the heist. It'll be great. Uh, <laughs> but I I think the the important concept for people to understand with bridging and why bridging is such an exploitable thing is because. Assets do not move from one chain to another. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's also, I think it's the increasing importance of bridges is also because I think it's clear now, or it's pretty clear now that there's not one single chain that will be able to, to handle all of the transactional activity that is potentially going to happen on these, on, the, on these chains in the future. So in my opinion, we're anyways going towards kind of a multi-chain scenario. Currently, it's more about if you're a studio thinking of, you know, where are you going to deploy? It's more of a go-to-market decision at the moment mm -hmm. and, and seeing where can you tap into an existing user base? Uh, where can you tap on ecosystem support, ecosystem funding, engineering support from, from any of the foundations behind these layer ones and layer twos? Uh, but you're probably anyway going to be rolling out on a multi multitude of chains in the future just to also to be handled this, to be able to handle your the scale uh, of your product and you want to be speaking to the other chains as well when people move there or and, and again conceptually move their assets right. uh, between these so so from that standpoint also bridging is going to become more important all the time and and uh, that's what makes this kind of uh a very relevant problem or a very relevant challenge as it's clearly the bridges that are it was similar with the wormhole hack uh and i mean it's clear that that these are um these are currently the the biggest security vulnerability yeah um just to um fully explain the concept or just to just to uh, put a bow on the uh, voucher and bridging explanation um i want to just uh, give it a chain of order of events of how fiat gets into and out of um, Axie, and this will this will be important uh, at at the end too. 
So when I first started, when I bought Axies uh, last fall, I think, after the great, uh, the uh, infinite uh, possibilities, infinite revenue uh, blog post came out and, and the Novik newsletter piece initially about it, those were the things that kind of put it on my radar. Um, so I had dollars in my bank account. Um, I uh, forget where I did. Uh, probably it was Coinbase. I traded my dollars for Ether. Uh, Coinbase is a regulated, actually, uh, yeah, is a regulated uh, on-ramp, right? It's On-ramp and off-ramp is the point at which fiat currency is turned into um, crypto assets and vice versa. And those are all well, regu- you know, pretty well regulated and will become more re- regulated in the future. So I gave my dollars to some regulated exchange, they gave me Ethereum. I then uh, bridged this Ethereum from uh, the Ethereum network onto the Ronin network. And as we said, that means I put my Ethereum in a vault and I got a casino chip for uh, Ethereum usable within the Axie Infinity ecosystem. I went to the Axie Infinity Marketplace and bought an Axie, four Axies, someone other people had listed, and I gave them my Ethereum, and now I could play the game because I had Axies in my wallet. Now, on the sell side, they now have this voucher for Ethereum, and so if they want to turn that back into dollars and pay their rent with it, they would bridge it, they would undo the bridging, they would basically redeem, you know, it, it's a uh, phrase to the play- user is bridging back. But what you're really doing is redeeming the voucher for the original Ethereum and then going to a regulated exchange, selling that Ethereum for dollars, and then you can deposit transfer those dollars into a bank account. And so that's like the complex order of operations to get real money into and out of um, the, the side chain. Um, so if you're wondering, you know, the, the, one of the questions in this hack is why was there $625 million just sitting there, right? So there is, is a, a treasury holding, which is just another word for a wallet. Uh, it was a multi-signature wallet. Um, so it, it's a, it had nine signers and requires five signers to do any, uh, I don't know if it's any actions or any of the major actions, but the ETH and the USDC that were stolen were sitting in the vault, right? People had uh, put them in the vault and gotten their chips to go play Axie Infinity with. And this had to sit there and wait for anybody who wants to redeem their, to bridge back their Ethereum from Ronin uh, onto the Ethereum main chain. This is where they pull the money out of. This is the Ocean's Eleven vault. Um, that the casino is running. Um, uh, and this was noticed when somebody wanted to withdraw, basically with or cash in their chips for 5K. Exactly. So, um, uh, so I think now what's really interesting is that this was, unlike some other, ha- a, a number of hacks we've read about, like I think we talked about the Polygon uh, exploit that was found. So a white hack hacker won a, a record bounty for reporting um, an exploit on the Polygon network that could have drained the Polygon treasury in its entirety. Mm. That was a code. Uh, that was a bug or a series of bugs. Exactly, and that's why I think it's it's helpful to kind of examine at what some of those how those typical DeFi hacks look like. So. Typically, when you're using a DeFi protocol, you're you're interacting directly with the contracts, and typically those smart contracts then are are, are they're vetted and uh, they're um, they're audited, and uh, obviously most of the time they're sort of uh, uh, they're safe, uh, and, and um, it's 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 not about kind of the code being the problem, but sometimes. Obviously, when we were reading about these hackers, they found problem in the core protocol code, uh, and then they found a way to, to withdraw funds uh, directly, directly from the protocol. Uh, and um, but again, in in the case of this, 
now it's been or at least based on what what sky mavis have been reporting and what some some experts have been commenting on twitter that it's it's about human human error yeah uh, and uh, more of a social engineering attack also that has taken place yeah, so now now we're going to get into some technical where I, I can definitely get over my skis here because um, there's a bunch of things that I don't understand not being a, a security engineer or even having an engineering degree. But to the, to the best of my knowledge, this is how I understand it. Uh, there was a vault, a Ronin vault with all these bridged assets in it. It's, it's, a, it's a wallet, wallet, treasury is the same thing. There's an account with a lot of cryptographic assets sitting in it. It was a multi-signature wallet that re- that had nine validators. And so what that meant was it required five different entities to all sign any transaction. So it would be like if I went to um, pay my... <laughs> uh, I've got five humans living in my house. Uh, right now, I can sign the checks on the bank account by myself. But imagine if my heating bill came and each check said three out of five Levy family members have to sign this check in order for it to go through. That's that's what the multi-signature wallet means. So there are nine people who are authorized to sign. Five of them have to sign. And what... Um, the articles that I read make it sound like is there there were two parts. Um, in order to deal with some network congestion issue, um, four of uh, con- the ability to sign from four of the validator nodes had been granted on an allow list to Sky Mavis itself. So one hacker by gaining the private keys, that Sky Mavis could use could sign four of the five signatures. And then a fifth signature came from um, a, a node run by the Axie DAO. Uh, and so I don't know, I actually couldn't tell if that means that they also social engineered the private keys from the Axie DAO um, or they performed some other action to trick that fifth node. But um, this this was not a code exploit. This was somehow getting the private keys to one set of private keys that allowed the hacker to sign four signatures and another set of private keys that allowed them to sign the fifth signature. Yeah, and adding there to my, to my understanding, uh, there was... In connection to, to to the to the ask during the network congestion of, of getting getting the rights to approve uh, or to validate transactions, there was um, a specific node commissioned as well uh, within this uh, within this agreement, so to speak, which was later more or less uh, decommissioned uh, in a way, but it remained allow listed and. Uh, the message that came to the validators, which um, which then included the false message that was intended to exit the funds, uh, came through this decommissioned node, mm. but but it was still because it was never removed from the allow list. So so even though it was ne- it wasn't anymore in use, uh, there's there's some more nuance to this, but but essentially the the, the attacker then came into possession of being able to send send the false message through this node, which uh, then was approved by by the validators. I just think of, um, I, I feel like a couple years after I left EA, I got a message from on a private account, private email account from someone who was there who was like, hey, uh, I inherited this that inherited Dragon Age Legends security setup two years ago uh you've left like four years ago um do you have any idea which system administrator is running server x because we need to shut it down i mean i'm i'm fairly certain i got something exactly like that years later and and i think that in this world in this world of blockchain system administration and security and good hygiene 
um, are more critical than ever until there are kind of established, standardized solutions for these problems. Because this sounds to me like uh, my <laughs> like there were a couple text files somewhere that needed to be cleaned up, like cut, like yeah. probably somewhere two different lines of code need to be commented out and they never were. And that allowed someone to steal $625 million worth of assets. Um, Any system administrators in the audience, please feel free to write in and correct me on that. Um, All right. So um, this hack, it was six days until it was reported to the public. Um, any, I mean, this is just pure conjecture on our, our part, right? Um, but, like, I wonder why it took six days, right? As you said, somebody tried to withdraw Ethereum from uh, the wallet, and that's what alerted the public to this. And I think the you know, one, one possibility that I can think of is a lack of proper monitoring on the bridge, right? Like, a la- you know, on at network, I get, like, hourly emails, um hourly kpi emails uh, for tetris or for legendary and like me and different mari and christian and different members of the product team are monitoring those certain things have alerts on them certain things have triggers on them and there's a whole infrastructure in place for people to try and spot you know problems like uh tutorial completion dropping or minutes dropping anything that could alert us that something's gone wrong in the infrastructure so one possibility is improper monitoring. Like there should have been an alert for something like this. Another possibility I could think of is they did spot it internally and they were um, coming up with their strategy uh, for how to handle this hack. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would assume that they've known of what's happening, but as a company and as a, as a team, they wanted to exercise and damage control before so they actually have been able to monitor what's been happening they did take some probably took precautions already at that point before closing up closing up the katana decks and any transfers in and out uh before before then announcing it announcing it publicly got it and and now to to go back to the uh earlier in the conversation kind of tie it up um, I think something that's super interesting is the um, actually to, even to go back to Ocean's Eleven again. In the first Ocean's Eleven, there's this whole joke about how masks, how like uh, tribal uh, masks that they stole, they couldn't turn them into money, right? They stole these things worth millions of dollars, but then they got caught trying to turn it into money, and that's why Danny was in jail. And that's uh, because all roads lead to Ocean's Eleven here. Um, the money that was stolen, the the USDC and the ETH, are sitting in a wallet. Anyone can view the wallet. Anyone can see the transactions in and out of that wallet and monitor it. And I'm sure that there are uh, many people watching this. I think a small amount of these cryptographic assets were off-ramped before the exploit was found. But the vast majority of the $625 million is just sitting there, right? Um, they There's no way to that I know of to launder this much money into fiat currency in our current system. No, that's going to be super tricky. And um, obviously, Sky Mavis is now working with Chainalysis, uh, mm-hmm. which is a kind of crypto forensics company yeah. uh, backed, by, backed by top VCs uh, and... Um, and I, I think this is again. People think that crypto is somehow efficient for money laundering when it's much more traceable <laughs> and trackable than yeah. than any any fiat related stuff. Uh, now, when now people can see where they're sitting, uh, there was though an interesting tweet from from the Polygon CTO where he was kind of giving his own take on this. Uh, coming from cybersecurity, he he can or he or his educated guess was that these aren't maybe as expected but these people probably aren't kind of those kind of uh kids or or or, or kind of degens right that went on about and and drain money but these are it's it's not people some... experienced in cybersecurity. they're 
they're cybersecurity experts, yeah. and um, and and they're probably probably going to use a bunch of different strategies, everything from kind of honeypots and and using money mules. So so honeypot being that they just send it send it somewhere, uh, and the the money mules being kind of sending small amounts to random people mm-hmm. just to just to drain the time of officials doing uh doing doing unnecessary research to to people and wallets who didn't have anything to do with this and probably spreading that out quite a bit mm. uh and um but yeah we'll just have to see obviously with the help of channelists there's, there's probably going to be more reporting on this also in the near future just to i, I think i'm super just interested in following where they're going to keep deploying those funds and where they're going to send those uh and um because there's been a yeah you know, in in connection to some of the DeFi hacks uh previously uh, a lot of the money has usually been returned mm-hmm. or then there's been some kind of a bug bound or some kind of a bounty for returning for returning the money and uh, some have some have stolen and, and returned them back immediately just to prove a point that there's a security vulnerability yeah. there uh, but this no is, sign of that at least yet this is going to be the plot of, of Oceans 14 of how the hacker gets yeah. 20 million dollars to give the other 600 million dollars back <laughs> right that's the actual cash out is giving it back Um, all right well if anybody i I think i've mentioned this before and uh i need to put my deck together uh to propose to you guys at play ventures building the aig of crypto bridges um because i i suspect that within time we're gonna have uh insurance contracts on bridges and uh cryptographic asset networks uh to compensate for hacks just like this um that doesn't sound like a fun business but it sounds like a ridiculously lucrative one um i know nothing about insurance obviously um but uh uh any closing thoughts on you know in in my mind it's this is really these types of events they're gonna happen uh maybe not to this scale or maybe even bigger uh, in the future but these are bad for the industry they're bad for us the developers and yeah and i mean yeah, and I mean, the more money that is flowing into the space, the more money users bring into the space, uh, the bigger the bounties are going to be. I mean, Bitcoin is the biggest bug bounty in yeah. the history of mankind. If you manage to hack Bitcoin, you're going to be the richest person in the world. Yeah. Uh, and um, same same thing with these ones. I think it's a bit of a scary thought that if the, let's say, let's assume that the status quo of bridges will continue in, in the kind of the state that they mm-hmm. are developed and how they're maintained. It's quite a scary thought that you'll have five people being able to decide on, on billions of dollars yeah and 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 sort of the security yeah. around those so there are there are a couple of kind of upcoming other solutions i think mm-hmm. just the, the space warrants a lot of research and there needs to be a lot of research yeah. put into into building better bridges we're looking at uh zero knowledge bridges being one i think we should cover those also in a future episode yeah. uh optimistic bridges that 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 also are, are a few years away from proper implementation but but again those are the next evolution that are tackling tackling a lot of the existing problems yeah. of, of current bridge solutions so so again not to say that obviously it's not okay that customer funds are getting lost i think yeah. i think one should be we should put these things to the same standards we would expect from the fiat world but um it's also a reality that it it, it, it takes a bit of time yeah. But um, I, I wouldn't be yeah, surprised. There are solutions in the pipeline. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes kind of like how VeriSign and other things became, you know, like there were marks of approval that went along with PayPal and, and buying things on the Internet at the start. Like I wouldn't be surprised yeah. to see uh, uh, actual insurance players that let you buy contracts so long as you meet or exceed certain um, security standards. Um, and that perhaps that insurance contract could become the enforcement mechanism that improves security um, on bridges and side chains um, across yeah. the industry. Uh, anyways, so I hope that was helpful. I certainly learned a lot. I feel like now I can read those articles and actually understand the mechanics of, of how this hack actually happened. Let's let's close it out with some new hotness. Um so I do not have any new tokens or NFTs uh, this episode. I made a mistake because I saw that C2X, which is Com2UX's 
uh, native platform token for their upcoming platform was doing, I saw on Twitter, they were doing an IEO, an initial uh, exchange offering on FTX. So I went and opened an FTX account. I funded it. um, But what I did was I opened an FTX.US account. And if you're in the US like me, you can't uh, acquire all of the uh, uh, assets it's a pretty limited pool of what's listed because of the current regulations in the U.S. So now I have $500 sitting in an FTX account and I have no C2X tokens and I need to decide what I do about that. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll just put some more in Ethereum and then go figure out how to swap for uh, C2X on uh, on an exchange. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I have nothing new. Uh, any Anything on your end, Anton? Yeah, quick, quick new hotness before I got to jump. Um, block Tackle, play portfolio company, experienced team building, building blockchain games. Uh, their debut title, SkateX, is in development. And today, April 5th, at the day of the recording, in uh, at 12.30 PT, obviously this um, recording will be out after mm-hmm. the sale, but but um, they're doing their initial drop of, um, of skateboards for their upcoming game. So, so when you hear this uh, episode, make, make sure to go to Magic Eden and snag some up from the secondary market. Awesome. I'm probably too late for the allow list on that one. All right, Anton, thank you so much. No investment advice. No investment advice. Do your own research. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks so much. This was really great. Um, uh, really went deep and learned a lot more. And uh, thank you all for listening. Please let us know. Uh, any feedback you have, which of the types of topics or other topics you'd like us to go into, what you'd like us to explain. We're all here to learn together. All right. Bye, friends. GN, friends. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.